Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monk's Global Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Adam Aber. Global Conversations is a current affairs podcast that aims to make public policy and global affairs discussions more accessible. We're bringing you access to current topics through in-depth interviews with real-life practitioners talking about their fields of interest. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting at gconversations, follow us on Instagram at monkgc, and additionally, please feel free to visit our website to read previous editions and upcoming publications, and you'll also be able to find this podcast. Again, that's monkgc.com. So I'm super excited for today. Today, I have Christy Mudd joining me, and together we'll be talking about the importance of international migrant policy and the need for a global solution to address this pressing crisis. For those of you that are unaware, Christy is a first-year MGA student at the Monk School with interest in human rights, women's issues, and security. In an earlier issue released by Global Conversations, Christy did a deep dive into last year's surge of Haitian migrants at the U.S. border. So feel free to check it out. It's an amazing piece, and we're super proud to have it on our website. On a lighter note, when Christy isn't studying migrant policy, she's a world traveler and is a big foodie. Okay, Christy, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, really excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Cool. So without further ado, let's get into it. I think we're going to want to set the stage a little bit for people who may not be as familiar with you on the surge of migrations from Haiti approaching the U.S. border uh, in Del Rio, Texas from Mexico. So why don't we just start there? What should the average person know or need to know about this crisis? I think it is important to remember that there was a recent increase over the summer in terms of like highest number of migrants along the U.S.-Mexico border, but Haitians have been migrating for years for various socio-political or environmental reasons to Central Latin America or to the Caribbean. So it's not like a new issue, but it has been happening for decades now. It's just there was a recent increase over the summer. I think in terms of what the average Canadian should know, when Haitians were along the U.S.-Mexico border, they were really suffering from poor kind of living conditions. It was really, there, there was scorching heat, really minimal access to resources, food, water, sanitation. And I think in general, the American response has been really rooted in kind of removal as well as deterrence. I like just clearing encampments, deportation flights and hopefully using these mechanisms to deter future migrants. And apart from the migrants who were removed, there have been more like temporary kind of solutions in terms of like temporary protective status that allow Haitians to stay in the U.S. for maybe like 18 months. But I think kind of recognizing that these are more temporary Band-Aid solutions towards the bigger problem of Haitian migration or global migration because Haiti will likely continue to have more migration leaving the country. So I think focusing the discussion on kind of the fact that a lot of Haitians are left with uncertain futures, whether they're in the U.S. or deported back home. Cool. So that's an amazing overview. And I think it's very important to notice, like you mentioned, that Haitian migration, although it became more of a U.S. focus, has been going on for many years all throughout Central and South America. And when you think about Haiti, you think about a country in the Western Hemisphere that suffered from extreme poverty political crisis, environmental disaster, this country has been hit with a lot. And so you can only imagine how desperate some of these people are to seek a better path in the treacherous journey that they're willing to take. So that's kind of a high end, but can you set the stage for what's going on in Haiti as far as the humanitarian conditions, maybe starting at the earthquake and then moving onwards? Like what is really propelling this mass migration of people out of the country? Yeah, so I think 
within the past year, a lot has happened with Haiti. There was widespread political instability. In July, their president was assassinated and also there is currently an interim president that is meant to host a new election for a uh, new president, but they have yet to do so. So are, there are some worries in terms of kind of when his term is gonna end, if there's gonna be further instability during this transitional government time. There's been widespread social unrest, also a consequence of the political instability, but armed gangs are taking control of wide areas within the country, terrorizing neighborhoods. There's been a lot of instances of kidnapping and like demanding ransom. COVID most definitely did not help with the situation, prompted further economic instability. And kind of, as you mentioned, Haiti is a very poor country with high levels of poverty. So the country right. kind of didn't really have enough resources to begin with to support their population. So hundreds of people are just, hundreds of thousands of people are just left with inaccessible basic resources, minimal access to housing, little access to drinking water, and all of those economic and living situations were exacerbated by the pandemic. And climate change and environmental threats are definitely a concern for Haiti. They're surrounded by water. So it, with climate change, it kind of will expect to accelerate the frequency and intensity of extreme weather hazards. So I think as a country, they're faced with just a lot is going on from every aspect, political, social, economic, environmental. And I think all of these continue to push and affect the livelihood of Haitian migrants, which push them to leave their country and hopefully seek for a better livelihood and a better life elsewhere. So I think we've done a pretty good job so far of setting kind of like the background for this crisis and the idea that there's been a lot of instability within the country and people are very desperate to try and seek a better future. I kind of want to take the conversation, if you're okay, now towards what happened in, as you mentioned, the summer and fall last year at the U.S. Uh, we, as, I don't know, Canadians, North Americans, really got a lot of a sense of this from the news. We were looking under the Del Rio Bridge. There was a migrant camp of I imagine close to 10,000 Haitian migrants. There was a lot of confusion around the situation. Not a, we were under the impression that these people would be processed and that there would be a, a justice or at least at the very least some kind of due diligence. And in reality, many of these people were being deported within a very short amount of time. So what was going on out there? What, what should we know? What was actually happening on the ground in Del Rio, Texas? So I think in terms of a lot of the deportations that was happening, with the threat of just their uncertainty regarding their future, a lot of migrants either voluntarily left because they thought that like they would be deported anyway, so they voluntarily left, or they were deported through flights that the Biden administration organized. And that kind of touches back to this big controversial topic of Title 42 that is being used right. in the U.S. for um, their response towards like a lot of migrants more generally. And I guess to kind of brief, that was a public health rule that was enacted during the beginning of the pandemic by Trump. And it is it allows border services to turn back migrants, even if they arrive at the border seeking asylum. And so thousands of migrants who made the trek through scorching heat and as we kind of talked about the inhumane conditions to get to the border only to not be faced with not being able to kind of go through a fair processing and they're just immediately deported back home or to other neighboring countries. And I guess that just kind of really highlighted how the it goes back to the American response of really focusing on removal and I think deterrence. And they knew that more migrants will be coming to the U.S. from Haiti and they wanted to deter that. So I think their initial response was to really focus on 
removing these migrants, clearing out the encampments, and to have these people bring their stories back when they go home and to use these stories to deter future migration. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of migrants were really just expelled under this like Title 42. And there was actually a recent court decision on this usage because it was so controversial. And I think earlier this month, they were talking about how the U.S. Court of Appeal has allowed the Biden administration to continue removing people under this Title 42, like emergency public health pandemic rule, but only if they are not being deported back to places where they'll be like persecuted or tortured. But I think, you know, terms like this, like persecution, torture, we think we have kind of like a common understanding in terms of what they entail. But when it comes to legally, politically, these are terms that can be interpreted in various ways to push for like certain agendas and certain narratives. Right. So the idea of persecution and torture may not be sufficient enough to grant people who may be in risky conditions asylum in the U.S. It might just be a buzzword as opposed to an actual meaningful change to the current Title 42. Yeah. Like I think thinking back to kind of as we set the stage about Haiti, like there is you know, widespread political, social unrest, there's armed gangs, there's violence on the streets, but I'm not sure if that would be like sufficient in terms of like persecution or like torture. Like what does torture encounter? Like would having these armed gangs on the streets do kidnappings? Like does that count as torture? Like in this like more legal sense? So I think having these kind of buzzwords in a more legal and political sense may not just make a big difference for Haiti and it can really be up to interpretation. Right. So something that I found interesting that you had mentioned was Title 42 was a Trump era policy, and it was based on the public health provision that due to this rise of COVID cases, there was a fear that if too many migrants entered the country, they in turn would bring the virus with them. And it was one of those fear-mongering policies, I would say, where Americans were worried that if too many migrants came in, they might be responsible for bringing in higher levels of COVID. That was years ago. Uh, We're at a totally different part of of COVID, especially in the U.S. There's very few restrictions. And I think there's been a turning point. So my question to you is, we've gone through an administration change. We've gone through a to a more progressive president, maybe not in all aspects, but it seems like there's a bit of a disconnect. Why are we even talking about Title 42 anymore? And why hasn't the Biden administration made a significant policy shift from the Trump era one to kind of deal with the situation? What do you think is happening there? I think those are definitely sentiments shared by the Haitian community. A lot of Haitian Americans kind of spoke out about the sentiment, how during Biden's campaigning period, they went to these local communities and told the Haitian American communities that I stand by you as Biden, like I'm here for you, I'm here to make change, I'm not gonna do what Trump did. But then as we saw within the past year, Biden did not necessarily take a different approach. So I think Haitian Americans most definitely share that sentiment. There's been, I was reading articles talking about how they really feel kind of like a sense of betrayal. Like we voted for you because you said you're going to do something different, but you clearly have not. And I think maybe this just goes back to politics, I think, with a lot of these global issues. And I think the dangers of having emergency policies that were enacted during like emergency times that were very different. Like you said, like this was enacted during the beginning of the pandemic, but it is continually being used now, even though the situation is very different to push for. I think maybe this goes back to just the fact that U.S. has always had a strong history of anti-immigration, kind of anti-migration, anti-Black sentiments. And I think maybe that does 
play a role into why it is continually being used and why there hasn't been a change despite the fact that Biden did say he will do so differently. Um, I do remember reading their hopes that potentially with maybe a presidential election coming soon within the next few years that um, these communities did play a big role in kind of Biden being elected. So hopefully that he will shift his policies, understanding the fact that they did play a role and if he ever did want to get reelected or his party be reelected, that they would focus on kind of the priority and safety of these communities. Right, and I think you reminded me of a quote and this is this is obviously someone who is very based in economics and not migrant policy, but he has a comment, this guy, Milton Friedman, and he says, nothing is so permanent as a temporary government program. And I think in the case of Title 42, as much as it was meant to be a COVID only measure, I think there's a lot of compelling evidence to suggest that that rule isn't going anywhere fast and there might be modifications to it, but that's yet to be seen. So I guess, and this is obviously the hardest challenge is where do we go from here? What are you thinking about? What should President Biden be thinking about? How can the US better aid maybe Haiti and better ameliorate situations over there to prevent such large numbers of migrants? Like I'm I'm totally open to ideas here. What are you what are you thinking about these days? How do we how do we go about moving forward here? I think there's like a range of, you know, more like temporary, more longer term, things that are more like simple, implementable, like policy changes, and maybe things that are just going to take a lot of collaboration and political will, but I think they range. So I think there's temporary things like speaking about the uh, treatment of Haitian migrants along the US-Mexico border. There are talks about like having more like training academies and programs for border patrol services to make sure that they are you know held to a certain standard and they're not mistreating their migrants so i think there's things like that um there are more of these kind of like temporary band-aid solutions of like the temporary protective status there is another one like the deferred and forced departure which i think also just protects these migrants and allows them to stay within stay in the country for maybe like a year or a designated period of time i think it was like during my research when scholars were also just kind of brainstorming what can we do i think having training programs there were a lot of images that were being circulated around the news regarding like the treatment of these migrants and how they were being how they, these encampments were being cleared or just the various situations in terms of like border agency interactions with the migrants. So I think having kind of more potentially policies relating to how they should be treating these migrants, not treating them as criminals or truly just treating them as, you know, migrants who are hoping to be able to get into the system and be able to get processed um, for an asylum or a refugee status. So I think having like training programs potentially for the people who would be in direct contact and direct interaction with these migrants. And then the other was very similar to, I think, the temporary protective status, which is just to help prevent the removal of certain migrants for a designated period of time. I know it was used years ago for also Haitian migrants, but I think these are kind of just very temporary solutions in terms of protecting migrants for maybe a few years for them to stay and to potentially work. But if their application is not processed and a lot of these times with administration, they do face major delays. So there is always a threat that they would be deported home or deported to another country after. And then I guess in terms of like maybe longer term strategies for the U.S., but also for a lot of higher income countries, I think is the importance of expanding legal routes. I remember reading about how 
these migrants are forced through more illegal routes or they're forced to make these treks because there are not enough legal routes for them to access these systems and for them to be able to migrate. So expanding routes, I think bigger asks, most definitely a challenge would be kind of depoliticizing and desecuritizing this kind of migrant narrative. I think the way that politi politicians, journalists, the media have really talked about these issues, it, it's been really rooted in like stereotypes, biases and fears. I think the language that's being used, analogies that are being drawn, and I was reading for my latest article that we're going to, that I'm going to be writing about is the author was proposing how reframing migration, not as like a problem or a crisis, but a solution for this inevitable climate change. The fact that as like an international order and system, we have to adapt and address this this migration issue because it's not going anywhere and people can't just keep pushing the responsibility to other countries because the responsibility is often pushed to lower income countries. So the fact that not framing it as a problem, a crisis, um, but to kind of look at it as just a solution for this climate change. So I guess like all of that is kind of really rooted in this like big overarching need for international responsibility sharing that we just, have to make it easier for migrants to cross international borders. And I don't know if you know this, but my background is I work for the UNHCR, so the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. And I think a lot of the things that you mentioned are the things that we're kind of grappling with on a daily basis. And the Haitian example is really powerful because of how close it was to the U.S. And I think there's a tendency when things are further away to uh, ignore it. And I mean, the Haitian, like you mentioned, is one example of hundreds of migrant crises that are going on around the world. And the unfortunate reality is that this is going to continue and it's not going to get any better by any means over time. So without that whole basis for international cooperation, we're kind of shifting towards a more inward thinking society, a more distrusting society, a more fearful society. And what really worries me is Every issue is not my problem from a global perspective. So as long as it doesn't directly affect me, I don't have to worry about it. And I think that if we run into this inward thinking and we run into this anti-globalist mentality, we're going to really struggle to solve a lot of these pressing issues that extend beyond national borders. Like you mentioned, climate change, for one, is going to be a huge existential threat. Wealth inequality, another major driver of migration. Um, there's a lot of issues that are just all around the world and without this cooperation, which I unfortunately I think is on the decline, we're going to be running into some more serious problems. And that's one thing that I'm concerned about. I also think it would be a miss not to mention the current Ukraine war. There's obviously a major migrant crisis going on over there. Close to 3 million people have now fled the Ukraine with many millions more internally displaced moving around regions in the country. There's been absolutely no evidence to suggest that President Putin is going to let up anytime soon. At this point, there's no willingness for the Ukraine to join NATO. As much as it feels like Ukraine is at this alone, I think there's been a lot of efforts through sanctions. I think there's been a lot of efforts through international pressure. But at the end of the day, we're really seeing this globalist system on the verge of collapse. And what scares me is for migrants, for refugees, for asylum seekers, they're able to access neighboring countries and there will be Canada, I know, has promised to accept things as well. But when you have such large numbers, 
it, it really begs the question of like, what is the solution? I don't think there's necessarily one other than international cooperation and ability to deal with problems at scale. So I was just curious to hear your two cents on what's going on out there, what you think the migration is, if there's any parallels maybe to the Haitian crisis. Absolutely. I think going back to just like this need for international is like, yeah, there are going to be high numbers of migrants all around the world everywhere. I think that goes by to like, I think in, in my head, the analogy is like it would be way too many migrants for one country. But hopefully if we do share the responsibility, then it is a lot more manageable and that systems are able to buy time for themselves to innovate their processes, make it more efficient, make it more effective in a time where that you will be able to handle the increasing number of migrants for your own country. And in terms of like the Ukrainian situation, most definitely it is a devastating humanitarian crisis. I do find it kind of interesting, I think, in terms of like the narratives that have been going on. I remember seeing in the news that like Biden publicly said, you know, we're going to welcome you with like open arms and I find it interesting how kind of like this language isn't always used in addressing like other migration issues I think a lot of the times like migrants are faced with very like securitized narratives about how they can be a threat like even with COVID and like title 42 it's like it was not is before it was heavily a security issue of like they can be dangerous to to our society, they may be criminals. And then there was the added layer of COVID where they may also now bring like COVID to our country. So I do find kind of like the narrative quite interesting. And maybe that, you know, kind of speaks to a lot of broader issues that is rooted in more like historical colonialism and historical like discrimination and racism. We are in this together and kind of going back to the UN, it's all about, you know, protecting our collective human dignity and every country will have to play their role in adapting their own systems. I couldn't agree more with you. We live in a globalized world. If we think inwardly and we think only about ourselves, it's not gonna to lead to a collective good. So I just wanna say thank you so much again, Christy, for joining me today. I really enjoyed talking to you and I feel like I learned a lot about migration in general and then a little bit of a lens on the Haitian migrant crisis. So I just wanna thank you again for joining us at Global Conversations. Remember to join the conversation by tweeting at G Conversations and find us on Instagram at MonkGC. Thank you very much, Christy. Thank you for having me. It was lovely chatting. So thank you. Thank you again. And thank you for listening.